you have your Bibles with you this morning, we'll be in Acts 2. Acts 2, so you have your Gospels. Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, and jump straight into Acts. We're in the New Testament. Acts 2, we'll be reading this morning from verses 42 through 47. So we'll look at those five or six verses there. If you have found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's Word? Two. Acts 2, sorry. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. May you hear the word of Christ this morning. And they, this is the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and finding favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being rescued. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for again gathering us on this Sabbath day, on this Sunday, in which we can now find our rest in you. And so, Lord, may we put away all obstacles, all those uh, that time this morning in which we had this hurry and this angst of getting here, worried about being late or uh, anything that disrupted our morning. May we set it aside. May we take this time to hear your word. May we breathe and soak it in so that we can learn what it means to be your people, your church. And so, Father, speak to us now. Speak to us through your word so that we can be your people of your word. Father, we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Simple reminder that we're continuing this journey in uh, year of 2019, a, a year of small things. And then February has been a year of vows, um, excuse me, a month of vows. And so we've looked at the first Sunday in, in February of how Christ vows to be with his people and to witness through his people that he doesn't break his promises, he doesn't break his, his vows. But last week we looked at, considering that uh, Valentine's Day was going to be on the fr uh, Friday before, uh, we looked at how we can show and express and exhibit our vows to our spouses, but also what it means to be uh, one who takes vows as a single person. And so it wasn't just a, a message for married couples, but also for singles. And so how we express our singlehood and also our, our marriages as an expression of Christ's own faithfulness. And so this week, um, I'm looking at what it means to be uh, vowed as his church. So we've looked at Christ's vows to us. We looked at how we express our vows to our loved ones. But this week we're looking how we can express these vows to the people we gather with each and every week. So that's sort of the aim for this morning. 
Now, let me be very, very abundantly clear about this. If we leave today, and I miscommunicate this, forgive me, but if we leave today and we think for a second that the tone of this message and the content of this message was about you have to be at church every Sunday, then I've miscommunicated. There's something that went wrong between me communicating and the listening that happened because I do not want to communicate that message today that, you know what? You better be here every single Sunday. That's not what I'm after today. So if you catch anything, please don't let it be that. Because what I want us to do really in, in, in true honesty and be fully transparent is that we catch a love for being God's people with God's people. I want us to be in all of that. To be in love with God's people and be alongside them, walking with them. I want us to fall in love with that message. So uh, you probably heard this many of times. I certainly have. Uh, in North Carolina, the, the seminary, the graduate school I was at, we had hundreds of seminarians that lived within a couple of miles of the seminary. And so you would interact with people who were not a part of the seminary and they would uh, often say, oh, um, so you're from the seminary, right? Yeah, 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 we're, we're part of the seminary. We've been there for a few years. And they would say something like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian too, but I don't go to church or I don't fellowship with any church in this area. And so this kind of tone, this kind of uh, understanding of what it means to be Christian, I want to very graciously push up against that for a second. Because what we will find, I think, discovered today is that to be Christian is to be in fellowship with God's people. But as I said already, please, you better not hear me saying that you better be here every single Sunday. Because what we will find throughout the New Testament is to profess Christ as king is to be in fellowship with God's church. And I'm going to try to show some of the examples, not only from the text this morning, but a few other examples of how we can see our own gifts, our natural gifts that we've been born with, but also those who profess Christ as king, those spiritual gifts that we've been given in order to demonstrate them together in fellowship with one another, to upbuild and encourage one another in their faith and to mature one another in their own expression of their Christian walk. Do you remember years ago, 2012 Olympics, I, I believe, the Fierce Five, those five girls who just captivated not only America's attention, but the entire globe's attention. Fierce Five, they were incredible. As soon as they hopped onto the mat for that meet or whatever it was onto all the other uh, competitions that they had, you watched. And you would hear the stories, the commentators and announcers would begin telling the stories of how these, literally, these young girls, 14, 15, 16 years old, they've been doing this competitive, competitively for 10 plus years since they were early, four, five, six years old, that they began training. And that they were noticed so quickly that they were picked up by certain trainers. And so when they went to these trainers, these trainers would 
give them more skills, give them techniques to strengthen them. And then those trainers would realize, you know what? You've gone beyond what I can teach you, so I'm going to push you on to another trainer, another coach. And so these women, these young women, slowly made their path eventually to one of the greatest trainers in the nation, actually the two greatest trainers in the nation, two greatest coaches for the U.S. Olympic team. And so they were worked with by a number of people up until this point in order to get the best techniques, in order to understand how to use their body, how to shape their own body to perform well. But it took also this team, this perfectly matched team, in order to push one another to compete in the type of excellence they already had within them. So what we noticed from this Fierce Five, it was a magical moment in the 2012 Olympics, is because not only were they sisters for years, but they also were under the guidance of a great coach for years up until this point. And it is through those trainings for 10 plus years that they were able to display the type of excellence that they had been going towards this entire time. I want to connect that to what it means to be the church. I want to connect this because as I understand it, whenever the church is talked about in scripture, it is when we are putting ourselves under the coach, the teacher, the trainer, Christ himself. And it is when we are in faith to him that he continues teaching us, individuals teaching us of what it means to walk in his ways, to be skilled in the ways of righteousness and holiness. But also what it requires is a team, a people, the church, who are together helping one another, pushing one another to walk in those ways of holiness, righteousness, justice, goodness, and faithfulness. Does that make sense? Because if it wasn't for those team members of the Fierce Five, they're just individuals. The same for us. If we're just individuals, we need a team to push us, to guide us, to mature us in the deep things of Christ. So if I can put one analogy before you throughout this day, let it be that as we work through this passage this morning. So what does it mean to be the church? The church are, is a people who live together under the banner of God's grace. Let me say that again. The church is a people who live together under the banner of God's grace. If you look back at verse 42 of Acts 2, you'll notice in that opening chapter, I'm sorry, the opening verse, there are four things listed that the disciples devoted, they vowed themselves to. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. This is what scholars call the four marks of the church, the early church. You've got to think this is just a decade, maybe 15 years after Christ has died and been resurrected. So this is the baby church here. And yet we see in these, this opening verse four marks of what it really essentially means to be the church. And I don't care where you go across the globe, you will see these four things. Now, you might see additional things when people gather as God's people, 
But guess what? You'll see these four essential things because I am convinced that they're all rooted right here in this single verse. So let's look at them. First, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. The apostles being the twelve who were closely tied to Jesus, but also those who uh, came after the resurrection of Jesus. There were other apostles who followed in his ways, and they were apostles of those who were sent out to spread this message, this good news of Jesus' death, death and resurrection. But also, on top of that, they are devoting themselves to that teaching. It is a certain type of teaching, what we would simply call something like a Jesus understanding of the Old Testament. That all of the Old Testament led up to this Messiah. And that this Messiah has indeed finally come. And this person is Jesus of Nazareth. And he has fulfilled the scriptures in its entirety. So when it talks about the teaching of the apostles, that's what they have in mind. Because up until this point, the New Testament isn't written in its entirety. You have letters of Paul floating around 10 to 15 years after uh, Jesus has died and been resurrected. But for the most part, the New Testament hasn't been compiled in its entirety. But here you have already they are devoting themselves. They are committing themselves to this teaching of the apostles. Second thing, fellowship. They devoted themselves also to the fellowship. This is something we, we would call is a gathering of God's people. What we're doing right now is fellowship. This word also in the Greek, quinonia, uh, means something like participation. It means some sort of contribution. So whether you're talking about fellowship, I hope you hear the other terms as well. A contribution, a fellowship, a participation. So that's one of the reasons why I say to be a Christ follower is a people who are also devoted to participating, contributing together, fellowshipping with one another to encourage one another in the faith. Next, you see they're devoted also to the breaking of bread. This is just a simple term in the early church of taking the Lord's Supper. The breaking of bread. This is a time where they remembered that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sits down at this dinner, this Passover dinner, and he breaks the bread and he passes it to them and reminds them this is his body broken for them. It is the sign and symbol. And then he passes the cup as well and reminds them this is the covenant of a new promise. This is my blood shed for you. So early on, the disciples and the apostles are devoting themselves also to the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread. And then next you see the fourth one, and devoting themselves to the prayers. So they are praying people. They are people devoted to the Lord's Supper. Uh, excuse me, the third one, they're devoted to fellowship. And fourth, they're devoted to the teaching of the apostles. The understanding that Jesus indeed is the fulfillment of the scriptures. Now, Blake, Sherry, Jody, who give us such beautiful music each and every week. Here's the thing. What you don't notice is there's not music there. But don't worry. When, it call, when, when Luke writes this in Acts, the prayers were typically the Psalms sung. The prayers were the psalms, the psalter that we know, the 150 psalms, they were sung together. 
So that is a part of their music. So whether you go to Haiti, to somewhere in Russia, wherever you're going, I promise you, you will see these four essential things in every single service. Now again, you might see some extra things that have been added depending on the denomination or uh, the particular service that you're at. But you will see these four things. So that, those are what we call the four marks, the four essentials of what the early church, and I would even say who we are and how we gather and we celebrate Christ, Christ's lordship today. Jump to verse 44. Let me reread it real quick. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, we will look over that phrase real quick because we come to this kind of text with 21st century American eyes. But there's something powerful about this verse right here. They, this is all the Christians, all who believe, were together. Again, they're fellowshipping. They're with one another. They're participating together. And they had all things in common. If we go back and look at the first century, this is a very common phrase for a family. The metaphor here is a, a family because here's what happens for us today. We wake up on a Monday, we get ready, we get dressed, we eat our breakfast, and then it's, we scatter for one another. Kids go to school, parents go to work, um, we go to lunch with so-and-so, and at the end of the day, we come back together at the end of the day. First century Israel, you wouldn't have done that. Because grandfather, father, son, grandson, they would have all lived in the same home. They would have all had the same skill and crafts, craftsmanship in whatever it is, the family job. And so they would all work together in a common interest, whatever crafts it was, whatever skill or labor that they were great at as a family, or the grandmother, the mother, the daughter, the granddaughter, they would prepare the things in the home, but they would all be together. And here's what would happen. They would take whatever money they made, the women who might have sold things and the men who might have sold their own crafts. Guess what would happen? It would go into a common purse. It would all go towards a family purse in which they would then take and buy whatever needs that they had together as an entire family. And so when the verse says, and they had all things in common, it's putting together two things. The church was a family. They held everything in common. They were brothers and sisters with one another. So it's so easy for us to jump over that verse, but in fact, they were gathered together in a family-like feature, and they were devoting themselves to the teachings, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship and the prayers. And so you see here in all of these verses again and again and again that the church was a family. The church was a family. So let's look down to verse 45 and see how this plays out to how they held everything in common together as a family. Verse 45 says that they, the apostles, were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, 
we need to be very clear about these two words, possessions and belongings. The first one, possessions, is dealing with, uh, uh, the Greek word is more of a, a land possession. So they had extra land that they had in their name or their family's name. And so since they weren't using that land, they would sell that land and take the proceeds, put it into a common purse in order to take care of those who had need. Or their possessions, these are extra possessions that they might have had they didn't need. Think of a yard sale. They would sell it, use the proceeds, put it in a common purse, and take care of any who had need in the community. So don't be so quick to go home today and try to put your house on the market and to sell everything that you have. I think there's great wisdom here is because they're selling the things that are extra in their life, taking those proceeds, not holding it to themselves, but devoting it to this gathering, this fellowship, this church, in order to take care of anybody who had need. And let me just throw this tidbit out once it comes to the church. The word church in the New Testament is used 109 times. Pretty common word. 109 times. Every single time that it is used, it is never referred to as a building. Not a single time. It is always a people. Always, always a people. And so when you have here that they are gathered together, they're fellowshipping together as the church, they don't go to church as a place, but they are gathered together as God's people in order to take every bit of what they own, every bit of who they are, and they're giving it all to Christ so that His glory and kingdom can be made so evident and clear before others. And it's such a beautiful picture. These verses capture or should capture our attention for how we need to step back sometimes and look at ourselves and say, you know, what are the areas that I'm falling short and how Christ can you continue to work in me so that I look more like your early church? It's okay to do that. It's okay for us to look at these verses and say, you know what, this might be the ideal that's all right. Continue making me into a people that you gather, that you continue to work through in order to make your kingdom so evident. That's okay. Next, what you notice is that they're taking all their proceeds and distributing to any who had need. Simply this, church, uh, we need to have a, a kingdom economics. We need to see that every single penny that we own is actually Christ's. That will greatly change how we spend our money. It'll greatly change how we take into consideration our budgets. That if truly every penny is his, then we will see that we, we need to look at balancing our budgets for Christ's kingdom. That is not an easy task. It's not, is it? Because sometimes... Some months, every dollar counts for our own family. And so when we come to this verse, I think as one scholar has captured it, our attitude here for this single verse to the poor and the needy reveals a lot of our understanding about God's grace. So they understood God's grace so well that they understood how to give those pennies and those dollars in order to help others in need in their community. 
a kingdom economics will help us go in that type of direction. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Here you have, again, Luke is stressing, look, these people continue to devote themselves to worship. They continue to break bread. Here again, he emphasized it again. They continued to take the Lord's Supper, and they continued to do this where? In their homes. So it wasn't just a worship in the temple, but it was a worship throughout the week in their own homes. So I think for what we can gather from this verse itself is that worship isn't just what happens right here when we're gathered together on a Sunday. It is a, something that spills over into our homes, that it is showed in our homes through our actions, through our words, to our children, to our spouses, to our loved ones, to strangers or neighbors who come into our home. They continue to show that worship didn't have boundaries and it continued to flow into their most private areas of life. Verse 47, and this is a tough one. This is one that gets me every single time. Verse 47, it says this, And they, praising God, found favor with all people. What's so difficult about this verse is that, I mean, can, can we really honestly say, and I hope we can, but it's not the easiest task, can we honestly say that the community of Trenton or our neighbors look at us and say, you know what, we find, we discover that this people of Hickory Grove are indeed a gift to our community, a gift to our city. Because that word finding favor, the Greek word is actually gift. Is Hickory Grove as a church, a people, a gift to our community? Does it seem to be the case that they are spilling out the life of Jesus in our neighborhoods, in our city? I throw those kinds of questions to you because I do think we are a gift to our community. But again, as I said a few minutes ago, it's one of those, these five to six verses right here. They're a continual reminder that we need to continue to self-examine ourselves, to remind ourselves that we have a great gift given to us, Christ himself. And that it is not just a gift that we hold and receive, but it is a gift that we continue offering to others with our own lips and lives. And so even here in the early stages of the church, the baby, so to speak, of the church, we find that everyone around them in their city saw the early church as a gift to its own community and city. Now, there's plenty of scandals, unfortunately, that have broken out in the past week. And I'm not going to throw those names out, but you can just watch the news this afternoon or look about what's going on uh, between uh, the Catholic Church, but also Southern Baptist Church out of Houston. There's plenty of scandals happening. Church, nationally, we're not seen as a gift. When you hear that type of news and the type of atrocities that come through those places that are expected to be a place of righteousness, a people of goodness that promote life, we find in, even in those times that we're not seen as a gift, but rather the opposite, more of a parasite. 
more of a part of the problem, an agitator that is disruptive to the goodness that we can exhibit. But it's okay for us to again come back to these verses and say, Lord, forgive us of where we failed. And how can we move forward in order to show our community and city and the nation that we are a gift to all people? That ultimately Christ is the one whom we honor. Christ is the one whom through grace grows us and pushes us towards his favor. So how can we be that church? And lastly, verse 47, the second part, the Lord added those being rescued or reconciled or saved. What we find is that when the church, early church was gathering together, they're worshiping together, they're taking care of those in their community together, the Lord gave them great favor by adding to their number day by day. In other words, others saw their good works and they praised their Heavenly Father and they were rescued, they were saved. I think we will see the same kind of, um, I don't want to say so much benefit, but we'll see the Lord's favor if we continue on our path as Hickory Grove towards a direction of faithfulness in the smallest things. But if we want to grow in those small things as a church we are to gather together in order to deepen ourselves together as a family. And so let me close this morning with a few uh, metaphors that you see all across the New Testament. All across the New Testament as it speaks of the church. First, you see the church described as a temple, the building of God. Many of places, but de definitely 1 Corinthians 3. The fellowship of saints, you see that. The royal priesthood in 1 Peter, the bride of Christ. Jesus loves this metaphor when speaking of his church as his bride. New creation or a new humanity. Here you have family in Ephesians 2 and also in Acts 2 here. The kingdom of Christ. It is through his church that the kingdom is exploded. The vineyard. We're seen as his flock. Obviously, the people of God and also the body of Christ. But definitely, let's come back to the family. Let us be reminded that we are, when we gather, a people of brotherhood and sisterhood that are united in faith to Christ. And we're united together in fellowship in order to learn those skills and those holy habits of what it means to follow in the ways of Christ so that we are led from this place of gathering and scattered throughout our communities and neighborhoods to show who this Jesus is. To show who this Jesus is. And so it is in this family gathering that we're reminded of who Christ is, our brother who unites us together as this family. And let me close with these final remarks. I'd hate for us to walk away from these verses and say that how we exhibit, how we show who Christ is in our everyday world is by domination. That we would dare not leave this place and say, you know what, in the name of Christ you have to listen to me. That we dominate or impose ourselves on others. 
what you find in the, throughout the New Testament, but definitely in Acts 2, they didn't have to impose themselves on anyone. It was through a gentle service that others acknowledged that this Jesus was resurrected and he was working through his church. So it's through this gentle spirit, this Christ-like spirit that is working in them in order for others to acknowledge and to come to redeeming faith in this Jesus. Secondly, hopefully we don't turn into uh, turn inward, a withdrawal. That we go into our homes and we never leave. Or we gather here, withdraw from our everyday world, and we stay in here where we're isolated and in a bubble. That's too easy. It is. And we feel comfortable in our bubbles. But this withdrawal... It is okay for us to withdraw for a short amount of time in order to be renewed, to then be sent out as God's people. Once you see the picture of the New Testament, it looks a whole lot like this. That when God's people gather, they are withdrawing for a short time an hour, a couple of hours, in order to be renewed, to be restored, to be realigned and reoriented in the ways of Christ, in order to now be sent from this place to be His people. That is the picture you see from Acts 4, excuse me, Acts 2, 42 through 47. A people who gathered together, bonded together much like a family where we take all of our finances, we take all of who we are in worship in order to explode God's goodness and grace and His gospel in every corner of our life. I hope we can take this message and push it into every part of our life in order to show who He is no matter where we're called, no matter where, what we're doing, whether we're changing diapers or teaching students. The gospel has... No boundaries. And that is the takeaway for this morning. Now let us be a people who are devoted to one another to deepen ourselves so that we can then send out, be sent out as his people and his family to show others of who this Christ is. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the simple reminder that it is by grace that we gather this morning. And that as your church, as I said a few minutes ago, that we are gathered as a church under the banner of your grace. That it is not something that we could have uh, sparked or created. It is not something that we could have done by our own uh, hard work or own deeds. But it is only through your favor shown through Christ Jesus that we can be brought together as a family. That we can be brought together as brothers and sisters and that any wars that we have with the world that we're taught about Christ and the ways in which we are to exhibit his holy love. We find it right here in the teachings of the apostles. We find it here on Sunday mornings of the taking of your bread and your cup. We find it here in the prayers. And we also find it most importantly in fellowshipping with one another as a family. And so may we see that we are not only a gift to the community, but also a gift to one another. And so let us gather with thankful and generous hearts that we don't come to church in order for you to love us, 
We come to church because you've loved us. We come together as your people to see that it was through Christ who made his church. And we are his body. And we are united to him by faith. And so, Lord, before we forget those things, it is so simple to turn church into a deed. And forgive us for doing that. May we learn that it is through your grace that we are gathered. Teach us of how we can spread your good news that Christ has risen as your church, as a body of believers united together in faith. And so, Lord, before we forget those important words, to go therefore, let us be sent from this place in a few minutes to do exactly that to spread that gospel of good news. And we offer these things in his name. Amen.